Bibles, they're going to have to read them carefully this morning because we're going to be in the book Daniel. Uh, sometimes an often confusing book, a difficult book to preach. Um, definitely uh, have, have spent a lot of time this week in the book of Daniel. Um, and, and one thing the Lord has been impressing upon me this week is the weight of the glory of God. Amen. It is a, a fascinating read for sure as we've been trying to preach through the Old Testament. After this week, we only have two weeks left. Um, every book of the Old Testament. It's been a challenge for us to get through this, but uh, we are here in the book of Daniel this morning. Uh, Daniel has an actually an interesting structure to it. Um, the first six chapters are, are more narrative, and the seventh through the twelfth chapters are more prophetic or apocalyptic in nature as Daniel sees visions and dreams. And so we chose chapter seven, which brings all of these thoughts and things together. But it's a, a fascinating read for sure. And sometimes when you read the book of Daniel, we can get lost in the person of Daniel, the hero of Daniel, rather than the hero of the Lord himself and what he is doing and what he is teaching us. We can also get lost trying to figure out the dates and numbers and the prophetic wisdom here in the scriptures. But I think what the, the author wants us to see is while the kings and the kingdoms of this world seem like they will continue or they will rule and reign, that these kings and kingdoms, they will have an expiration date. And there will be one who will rule and reign forever as he will establish his kingdom. And, and in chapter 7, he calls this person the son of man. And so here's how the book begins. Daniel and his friends, uh, you, you know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They find themselves in Babylon taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. These young God-fearing boys now living in exile, living in the kingdom of Babylon. They've been given food to drink from the king's table. Food to drink, that doesn't make sense. Food and drink from the king's table, how's that? Living in exile, and the king actually wants to make them Babylonian at heart. That's why they're there, that's why they're eating from the king's table. Yet Daniel knows this. And knows and understands the deep understanding here is the king wants Daniel and his friends to give allegiance to the king instead of God himself. So Daniel refuses to defile himself with the food from the king's table and God blesses him and his friends with more health than the other men around them with just vegetables and water. And so just like Esther, God is orchestrating the events in the kings and the kingdoms of the earth. 
Now Daniel and his friends now work for the king. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that troubles him. And he calls all the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, the magicians. I love how Daniel and his friends are, are grouped in. These people of God, they're grouped in with all these sorcerers, astrologers, magicians. And he tells these people to interpret the dream. But the king says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. So you have to tell me what it is and then interpret it. But no one could interpret the dream. No one could tell the king what the dream was. So the king says, all these religious guys, all these weird guys, they got to die. And Daniel says, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let me ask the God of dreams and visions. So he goes to God to help him interpret the dreams. And the Lord provides him... Not only the vision that the king had, but the interpretation. And I want you to look carefully at what he says when Daniel gives thanks to God for giving him this vision. Because we're going to see another vision in a minute. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you for you have made known to us. The kings matter. Now, understanding, Daniel understands something here that we are to understand in this book. He understands that God is the one who removes kings, that he sets up kings. And he is the one that reveals to Daniel deep and hidden things. And Daniel is revealing to us God is in, in control of this chaotic world. So Daniel declares to the king this dream of a large statue, its head of gold, its arms of chest of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron with its feet partly of iron clay. And then he says this about this golden statue, which represent the next four kingdoms of the earth. Daniel 2, 34, as I looked, a stone was cut by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. Now I could preach over this text for a long time but we've been preaching through the Old Testament we see these images. Remember the mountain of God in Eden filling the whole earth with the glory of God, right? The, 
the, the, the wind, the threshing floor and the wind taking away the chaff as the judgment of God. We've seen these pictures all throughout the Old Testament. And the Old Testament prophet Daniel is bringing these about to tell us the one is coming through the judgment of God. And he will set up his kingdom forever. So what does the king do? King Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, Daniel tells him, hey, you are the golden head. King, you're, you're ruling, but there will be another kingdom after you. So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He builds a statue, probably a lot like the vision. And he makes everyone bow down to this statue. I mean, let's be real, right? Who's behind these kings and kingdoms of the world? Satan himself. Satan's ploy remains the same from the beginning in the garden to these kings and the kingdoms. Act like the rest of the world. Everyone else is doing it. And then he hits you up with worship. It's worship this. It's not that bad, right? That's what the king not only wants his Daniel and his friends to act like Babylon, he wants them to worship Babylon. Bow down to the king of Babylon, his statue. So the king is furious when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down to the statue. And he throws them in the fire, and we know what happens. They are not burned. Again, God is saying... The kings and the kingdoms of this world, they will set up these ways of worshiping these kings and kingdoms, but God's people will not. Their allegiance is to a higher king than the kings and kingdoms of this world. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obviously are saved by the higher king. So Nebuchadnezzar has another dream Daniel interprets this dream and tells the king, you'll become like a wild beast and eat grass in the field and be drenched with dew. So Daniel implores him to humble himself and repent. But King Nebuchadnezzar does not. Why? Because God has given him a great and large kingdom. So a year goes by and then... And then it happens. Seven years, the king acts insane like a wild beast. It says his hair grew like feathers, his nails are like claws of a bird, and he ate grass like an ox until he acknowledged that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Look at what King Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 4, 34. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is a confession of the king of Babylon. What is God telling us? God is telling us, 
that he is over the kings and the kingdoms of this world. Nebuchadnezzar's son doesn't listen to the words of his father. And because he does not honor God, his kingdom is taken away by Darius the Mede, who is probably the same person as Cyrus the Persian. And we'll talk about Cyrus the Persian next week when we talk about Nehemiah and the restoration of God's people with Ezra and Nehemiah. And then we have Darius the Mede. In the story of Daniel in the lion's den, again, the king throws Daniel, who submits himself to a higher authority by praying in his room, the king throws Daniel into the beasts of lions, and God saves him. After each of these events in which God promotes his people, God shows that he is the king over heavens and the earth. The king at that time who is over the kingdom honors the God in heaven. This is what the king of Persia says in Daniel 6.26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. What is God telling us through the mouth of Darius? His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. What a thought, right? And then the second half of the book, as I've mentioned before, you have these visions of what is to come, God pointing us to setting up his eternal kingdom. But chapter 7, you see all of these things coming together, the kings, the beasts, the kingdoms, the vision of future kings and kingdoms that will persecute God's people, and yet the God of heaven will establish his kingdom forever. And this morning we will answer the question, who is your king? We have to ask that question to ourselves in today's world. Will we bow to the earthly kings and the kingdoms of this world? Or will we trust the higher authority on heaven and earth? So let's look at the vision of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we... Spent some time setting this up so that we will have some context when we read it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belteshazzar, king of Babylon, this is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. 
And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This I saw in the night visions. And behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by its roots. And behold, in the horn were the eyes like the eyes of man, and the mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Father, we thank you that you have given us hope that our hope is not in this world. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We thank you, Father, that you have set up your kingdom for a better and a future kingdom that will be perfect, that there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more chaos. And that we will be your servants in this kingdom. Lord, help us to submit to the true and right king. Help us to submit our lives to the right and proper authority. That we may be called the people of God. Servants of the Most High. Lord, give us wisdom as you have given Daniel and his friends wisdom in our days to live as you have called us to live in obedience to your word and your truth. We thank you for your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the pandemic, we as parents, Jordan and I, um, 
as many parents were trying to do, we were trying to find things for an eight-year-old and a six-year-old to do around the house. You can imagine uh, how that looks and um, trying to not do something that is electronic is difficult, right? So naturally, we bought some pets, two guinea pigs to be exact, one from Petco and one from PetSmart because they, they didn't have any in stock. After some research and uh, uh, research done by my wife, it was known to us that we couldn't just have one, we had to have two because uh, they have to have a roommate in their cage to keep them occupied and uh, help them with their um, general, gen, general health. How's that? How, how's that? So after racing around the city, we find all these uh, guinea pigs sold out. We find two guinea pigs, Benny the guinea and Snowball, as they came into our home. We also acquired a turtle and nine fish during this said pandemic. But... We went into the pandemic with one pet. His name was Bear. We named him after the second beast, right? Just kidding. That was a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. It's okay to laugh in church. The second beast, Bear, all right? And the first time we were cleaning the guinea pig cage, we put the guinea pigs in their little playpen. As we're cleaning the guinea pig cage, Bear, the dog, gets through the door. And to our horror, he grabs Snowball in his mouth, to which there was a big scream from a little girl. As Bear locked onto Snowball, there was Mama Bear right there to put Bear in his place, spitting out the little pig, for the little pig to be fine and perfectly normal only for Bear to never go near the cage ever again. You see, out of the chaos created in this broken world, as the, Daniel describes it, as this sea, the world beasts arise going after God's people. Yet as we saw last week in Esther and this week in Daniel, the beasts will not stop God's plan for the kingdom of God. They will not stop God's plan that will come through the line of Abraham, the promise of Abraham, through the line of the King David, the promise that one is coming through David. No matter how bad it gets, God will have a remnant of his people to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And one day this world will be judged and the risen king will come forth and we will be with that king in the new kingdom that shall never end. The story of Daniel and these visions are to remind us that God is in control no matter how bad it gets. This is the ultimate king. Now if we, if we read in chapter 7, we see these beasts 
And Daniel describes these beasts of coming coming up out of the great sea. And the sea in the scriptures is depicted of this chaos. God puts that which is chaos into order. And he's bringing back that order through this kingdom that has been put in chaos by the fall of mankind. And four beasts come up out of the sea, the first like a lion that had eagle's wings. The kingdoms are representative here as beasts. Just as the king of Babylon, as we read earlier in the book of Daniel, was humbled when he exalted himself, he turns into a beast. Now let me read for you what the king of Babylon actually said and what God says to him in which he turns into this animal-like creature for seven years, which he eats grass outside and his nails grow long and his hair grows long. Daniel chapter 4 verse 29 At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men, and it gives and gives it to whom he will. It's so interesting. These, these kingdoms in Daniel's vision are described as beasts. You see, Babylon is typified in the first kingdom as one with lion, with wings of an eagle. Babylon is actually described as a lion in the prophet Jeremiah and an eagle in Ezekiel. It also becomes like a man as Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself and stands on his two feet like a man. But as we see here, there will come another beast. Verse 5, and behold another beast, the second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. So you have this second beast, and you have this example of the second beast of Media and Persia. As the bear, as on one side, Persia is larger than the other. And it's ruthless in its conquering, symbolized by the ribs in its mouth. So not only Babylon falls, Media Persia becomes the ruling empire of the day, but then you have Media and Persia, the bear, with the ribs in its mouth falling. The third beast, the leopard with wings. Verse 7, 
I'm sorry, verse 6. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. The third beast, the leopard with wings, the turn heads, would these wings would turn into heads and would be typified in the Greek empire, symbolized by the speed at which they would conquer the world. Alexander the Great would conquer the world by the time he was 32 years old. Maybe the greatest conqueror, greatest war, warrior the world has ever seen. The four heads would symbolize the generals who would eventually control the Greek empire after Alexander. But eventually the Greek empire would fall to where Christ would come in the last beast of Rome. The iron teeth signified by its strength. The beast is not identified as an animal because it's unlike anything the world had seen. The incredible might and cruelty of the Roman Empire aptly describes this vast and powerful beast. Nations were crushed under the iron boot of Roman legions, its power virtually irresistible. So let's read what that beast looks like. Verse 7, after this, I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured, broke into pieces, stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, notice, all of these beasts fall. This is the first point. I think, I think I forgot to mention this, but the kingdoms of this world will fall. Even the beast, as it's described in verse 11, will fall. These kingdoms that are so mighty and powerful and vast, they will fall. This last beast is different than the other beast. It has ten horns, and one of the small horns comes up and uproots the three original horns. And his horns were eyes, like the eyes of men and a mouth, speaking great things. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up one from them, another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, a mouth, speaking Great things. Many believe this to be an antichrist or the antichrist at the end as the ruler who has the eyes of a man yet behind them we know is the power of Satan himself. And later it describes this horn as speaking words against the most high and wearing out the saints. Now often Prophecies of the Old Testament have a near fulfillment, but they also have a future fulfillment. And Revelation talks about this Antichrist who is coming. But often these near fulfillments would give us a glimpse of what will happen in the future. But the, the prophets present them as one. And John tells us there have been many who have been like Antichrist. John 1, 1 John 2.18 says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. 
one of those antichrists is described in Daniel chapter 8. There's a vision in Daniel chapter 8. I'm not going to go into it, but I'll describe it briefly. About a little horn, another little horn coming out of four generals from Greece. Most likely we know him as Antiochus Epiphanes in 170 B.C. Some would call him the Hitler of the Old Testament. He gives us a picture of an antichrist or a little horn. He murders 80,000 Jews upon entering Jerusalem. Old women, pregnant, pregnant women, children. He issued coins in Israel with his image that read King Antiochus, God in the flesh. And to top it all off, he set a statue up in the Holy of Holies and made Jews worship it. Sacrificed swine, flesh, right in the middle of the temple. It's almost impossible to describe the offensiveness of what Antiochus Epiphanes did in Jerusalem at the time. It meant complete and utter blasphemy against God. And scripture describes this as something like an abomination of desolations. But sometimes after Antiochus Epiphanes did this in Jerusalem, he would have a stomach virus and he would die. Even though he thought he was unstoppable, he was stopped by something unseen. The Jews would fight back. They would conquer the temple and they would cleanse it and reinstitute sacrifices in 164 B.C. And as a result, the Jews actually to this day celebrate Hanukkah as a result of this. So Daniel was given visions of what God was going to do in advance many years before they would take place. But God was showing that these beasts and these horns, they would be judged by God himself. Look at what happens here. And as I looked, the thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words of the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. This is our second point that God is, is telling us according to scriptures, not only that these kingdoms will not last, but also God will judge the kings and the kingdoms of this earth. You see, we enter into the throne of God here. As he sees in this nightmare, Daniel sees these beasts, he also sees the throne of God. And the Ancient of Days takes his seat. And he attempts here in words to describe God Almighty himself in his throne room. It's most difficult to do. It's most difficult as we see other writers try to do this. Isaiah 
John the prophet in Revelation and Daniel trying to describe what he calls the ancient of days. I love that word description of God, ancient of days. We, we might even try to tell our kids um, when they're trying to hide something from us, hey, I wasn't born yesterday, right? I know what's going on here. I've been around the block a while and I know what's happening here. God doesn't say, I wasn't born yesterday. He says, I am the ancient of days. I was not ever born. I know all that has happened and will judge you as I open the books of what you have done in your life. And we see here the imagery of the purity of God. Look at that with me. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. God is perfectly holy, perfectly pure. There is no stain, there is no darkness in him. And because of his holiness, because of his purity, he judges unrighteousness. And we see that represented with the fire. The judgment of God in the fire as the fire is coming off his throne. The stream of fire coming from him, his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. He is the ancient of days. He knows all, but because of his purity and holiness, he must judge wickedness and evil. We are meant here, when we read this text, to feel the weight. The thousand upon thousands serving him, tens of thousands times ten thousands standing before him. We are meant to feel the weight of his glory. I just want to pause here for a minute and talk about this. You see, sometimes... In preaching, we feel the weight as we open the book to stand before our congregation to preach the word. Sometimes as church members, as we proclaim the gospel, we feel the weight of the glory of God. When we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and we gather together, we ought to feel the weight that we are standing in the presence of God, worshiping Him. We ought to feel the weight of the glory of God. And then we see what happens. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. 
No matter how some great someone is, no matter how much power they obtain on this earth, no matter how many followers they have following them, no matter how much they have obtained in wealth upon the earth, they will face the Ancient of Days. Just as the beast faced the Ancient of Days. And the beast who had the horn uttering arrogant things was tossed into the fire. Much like Revelation here, judgment comes upon those who set themselves against God and King. In Revelation, it talks about the mark of the beast. But the opposite of the mark of the beast is those who have the name of the Lord upon their foreheads. Whose king Who is your king? There will be judgment at the end of the days. And that king who is given the eternal kingdom will be the judge. We read this last week. I'm going to read it for you again. Matthew 25, 31 says this. When the son of man, there's that wording. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another. Shepherd separates from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then in verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm. Who is your king? They will be judged, and those who set their king to be the kingdoms of this world, the mark of the beast. But those who will be in heaven with the king of glory will be those who submit their life to the king of kings and lord of lords. They call them the children of God. Verse 13 says this, Then I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people's nations' languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is the last point for us this morning. There is a king and a kingdom that will last forever. You know, Jesus uses the title Son of Man 69 times in the New Testament. I think he's trying to point us to something, right? That he is the prophesied Son of Man that will establish his kingdom forever. That he is the one that the whole Old Testament is pointing us towards. That he is the Son of 
of man. The second Adam. Why? Because Adam the first failed to do what God had given him to do. To rule and reign over his creation. He forfeited that right to Satan. And now Jesus is coming back to take back the kingdom of God given to the Son of Man. He is the Adam. He was everything that Adam was supposed to be. He did what Adam could not do, resisting the temptation of Satan. Satan came... And he became the prince of this world after Adam forfeited his duty. Yet the one who would crush the head of the serpent, he is coming. Daniel tells us that. And Jesus, after he spent 40 days in the wilderness overcoming the temptation of Satan, this is what he declared. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. You see Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God through what Adam could not do. But he has to buy it back. He has to redeem it. And how does he do that? He dies a sinner's death upon the cross. The Son of Man, the one who has presented the kingdom that has given an everlasting kingdom, dominion and glory and honor, the one who humbles himself upon the cross to die for sinners. As he was questioned before the high council, before the crucifixion, Jesus clearly gives to the high council who he is. Mark 14, 61 describes it well. But he made, remained silent, made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power And coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus telling the high priest that he is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. He is the promised one who is the king. He is the one whose kingdom will have no end. He has been given all authority and he sits at the right hand of the father. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 describes this. Paul says, then comes the end when he will deliver the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ the ruling and reigning authority sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for a time in which he will come back again, destroy 
every authority and set up his kingdom forever. What does this mean for us, right? We've gone through a lot of prophecy, a lot of stories here. What, what does this mean for us today? Well, number one, it means that our final authority is not Washington, D.C. There's something that Congress is in the process of passing this week. It's called the Respect for Marriage Act. The bill attempts to go against the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996 that federally defined marriage as between a man and woman as spouse as only a person of the opposite sex who is husband and wife. The bill, which is claimed to be called Respect for Marriage Act, which is passing probably this week, will federally redefine the word marriage between two individuals regardless of their sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin. The only problem with this is that God defines what marriage is. In his created order, so that no matter what a king or a kingdom tries to define it as, they do not have the authority to do so. This is a problem for us as the church. This is a problem that will raise its head for many days and years to come. And yet we will stand upon the word of God. It also means, what does this mean? Well, this word that Jesus has set up his kingdom, it also means that we should be about advancing the kingdom of God. That we should be about pushing back darkness and advancing the kingdom of God that will last forever through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, gave us a glimpse of how the kingdom of God advances through the proclamation of the gospel in word and in deed. And we, the church, now are witnesses to go to the ends of the earth. And lastly, what does this mean for us as the church? What do these things mean for us today? We should submit our to the king. Because he purchased the kingdom with his blood. He gave his life so that you and I could have life. And now he calls us to submit to his authority. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until the end. He has been given all authority in heaven 
and on earth. Therefore, the church advances the kingdom of God. We are his servants submitted to do his will of advancing it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that you are the ultimate king. Father, we understand that this world and the things of this world will subvert your authorities. And Father, help us to humble ourselves to realize that nothing happens outside of your will and your design. Father, in this chaotic world, we see these things happening before us. And yet we know that we will stand upon the truth of God's word. We will be people who look to a higher authority. Father, we ask, Lord, for our people as they go out into this world this week, that they would stand for the truth of the gospel. That they would be gospel proclaimers. And they would worship the king with their life. Lord, we thank you for Daniel giving us an example of a faithful man who lived in exile, but always had his face towards you. We ask, Father, that we would be a faithful people, a faithful church that would do as you called us to do, that we would stand upon the truth of God's word in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we respond to the word of God and worship. If you'll stand with us, we're gonna worship together.